0: Hi there, I'm Deb Crow and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Okay, well, today's show is going to be extra special because, you know, I am Canadian, I'm a proud Canadian, and I get to interview another Canadian from the West Coast in Vancouver. So Roy O'Sing, welcome to the show super delighted to have you. And just a little tidbit before I hand you the mic. You're a guy who took an internet company to a billion dollars in sales. And I, I know we're going to get into that. But tell our listeners, who we love very much, all, all of them in 65 countries, we're, we're pretty proud to, to to that stat, Roy. Sorry. Tell our listeners a little bit about you.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm kind of like a be different leader, if you want to call it that. My brand is be different or be dead. And all that says is at a very young age, I, I, I concluded that the way to, uh, to succeed in a world that is cluttered with sameness is to figure out a way of breaking away from that in ways that people care about. And we'll talk in this, this podcast, I'm pretty sure, about what do I mean by be different? Not about the color of your hair. It's not about your sexual orientation. It's about doing things differently in a way that people care about. And I figured that out quite early as I strategically meandered through uh, TELUS and those days BC TEL and leading to a national telecom carrier um, to, to have the chance of doing many things, which eventually led to being asked to lead this business. Continued to apply the same stuff, same way of thinking, same informal style of leadership. And I guess I get still get goosebumps when I think of the billion because we never started out to get a billion. We started out to do things remarkably, and wow, we did it.
0: You know, I I love your branding, and so often we hear find your niche, find your breakaway thing. I I, I and because I know you've been a president and a chief marketing officer for over forty years, I think people are really going to love. Uh, as I tap into your brilliance during this interview, it's, it's like my book that I just released. You know, I was told for over 30 years, heart-centered leadership didn't have a place in business acumen. We go through a global pandemic and now everybody wants to be a heart-centered leader. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, here's the deal. People that say that know nothing about leadership. And one of the things that I've concluded is, you know, like I keep one of my favorites is that you need to you need to find a time to put the textbook down. Okay. It got you here, typically written by people that haven't run a huge business. So it's all left brain academic stuff, which is fine to get you to a place. Yeah. Okay. But what I've learned, like on my degrees in math, never solved a meaningful business problem in my life by solving a differential equation. Okay. And so somehow we've got ourselves into a situation where young professionals are having a tough time because they're relying on academia, right, to make it. And the people I coach are shocked when I say put the textbook down. Yeah. We're going to have a conversation about other stuff that really works in a real world full of bias, okay, and everything else that changes on you in the moment. Textbooks and that sort of background won't get you there. So the people who, who postulate leadership theories – Give me a break. They've never done it, okay? So we've done it. We understand it.
0: It's interesting because the last sentence of my introduction chapter says, you don't need initials after your name to be kind. And I think in a nutshell, we kind of are saying the same thing. And the book will take you so far, but if you don't get to know the person That's where there's a lot of barriers. So here's my first leadership question. You talk about being audaciously, which is the best adjective ever, different. And I I like to frame that it really doesn't matter what sector we're in, Roy, because we're all in the people business. So how does someone choose to be audaciously different? How do you frame that? How do you coach that?
1: Well, first of all, it's it's, it's hard, okay, because it, I mean, I, I would say that the easiest way to get there is you need to have audacity running through your veins, okay? You have to get up in the morning with this insatiable desire, okay, to achieve things in a way that nobody else does. And fortunately, my mom taught me, uh, which interestingly, I only concluded in retrospect, I think she taught me to do that without really knowing it. Mm. To somebody that that wants to do it and doesn't have it in their veins, it's all about baby steps. It's all about, I call it, uh, my be different lens. And so what you do is you get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to do one thing do really differently today. I'm going I'm, to, this isn't about stepping, you know, outside of the box. This is creating a new box, okay? It's not about pivot. It's about breakaway and to start to actually do one or two things like that. I have this, uh, this little crazy little tool that I always use when I'm confronted with something new and it's always, how can I do this differently? How can I do this in a way that, that, that actually surprises people? How Mm -hmm. can I do this in a way that people go, oh my goodness, that's so simple. And it makes so much sense. Why didn't I think of that? You know, if you can start approaching problem solutions by keeping this be different thing in your head. It's a really good start. The other thing is, look at, <laughs> there's no silver bullets in this world. There just isn't. I mean, you, what you have to do is you got to do it, do it once, then do it again, then do it again, and you're going to fail a lot. Okay. I mean, I failed so much in my life. It's unbelievable. At the end of the day, though, the cumulative incremental kind of like nanosecond wins are greater than the number of losses, and you're closer to the end game that you're really looking for. And you know what? They don't teach us that. No. Um, It's a shame. It's shameful.
0: I I commend you because I'd rather, like you, I've been an entrepreneur for 33 years. I would rather fail forward and get back up than never try it.
1: Well, the thing is, if you're not failing, you're not doing anything. Exactly. And the problem is, this is not a world about intellectualization. It's a world about actually getting stuff done. And if you're not making mistakes, you're not getting stuff done. I used to have this, this kind of, this value, one of the value systems I had in my organization. I would ask people, okay, how many times have you failed this week? And at first, when I started to do this, because I spent a lot of time, I call it leadership by serving around. We want to get into that. Not management by walking around, but leadership by serving around. I'd used to ask people, okay, how many times have you failed this week? And it's like Tuesday. And they say, proudly, I haven't, Roy. And I'd say, that's a shame. Tell me what you've done. Show me what you've done. It didn't take long before people realized, and this organization was eight or 9,000 people, it was Lars, didn't take long before people said, "Uh uh-oh, when Roy walks through, if you haven't tried something and failed, you're in for it. And so things like that, okay, it's like the drip theory. You just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and after a while, people catch on, culture changes. And so for people wanting to do this journey, keep that in mind. Yeah. Okay, you just got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Never stop, never give up. Because if you do, people will say, aha, I told you. Yeah, That'll never work. People but, fail doing that, they stop.
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay, my second question has permanent residency on the show. I've asked over 250 leaders this question. What imperfections does Roy bring to his heart-centered leadership?
1: Well, first of all, I'm extremely impatient. Uh, uh, some people would would might say that's an imperfection. I don't because of the world I live in. But I live in the world of of imperfection, and one of the uh, one of the reasons for that is like the textbook solution implies precision that doesn't exist in a world that's imprecise. Mm-hmm. If you get my logic, I mean, really, how could you possibly do that? That's not a bad quote. I just thought of that. I, I think you down. need
0: to do a meme on that for sure.
1: <laughs> but the thing is, imperfection and 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 sort of like impatience sort of for me was always something. And, and for people that didn't get Roy, they would always look at that and go, hey, slow down. And I'm going, what? What? No, no. I mean, the world's changed since I spoke to you 10 minutes ago. We need to get on with it. So I would say, that's one. Another one is my favorite. And again, you know, whatever. I, I believe in fingerprint leadership. By that, I mean, there are certain things that leaders need to put their finger, personal fingerprints on. Okay, this is not a world about incessant delegation, as the dependents would suggest. Okay, there are certain things that leaders need to take personal responsibility for, personal ownership in. I call that strategic micromanagement, and that's evolved into this thing that I say is fingerprint leadership. There's certain things that leaders need to do themselves. They can't delegate it to the guys in business development or the chief marketing officer if you're the president. you got to do stuff yourself. So I've been criticized for that, okay, because I don't believe in, you know, blanket uh, delegation whatsoever because that comes so close to abdication sometimes. It's crazy, right? And so you can't do that you have to figure out what's really important to the execution of your strategy as a leader and you need to take personal ownership in that and i find quite frankly uh, and this is a this is a condemnation if you will of the state of leadership is that leaders don't like to do that cuz it's messy right and they don't want to be criticized for getting too involved you can't get too involved this is your business right it's your results people depend on you get over yourself and get dirty And get results. And so I think now that you asked me the question that way, I think most um, characteristics of leaders I don't do. And maybe that's my biggest imperfection is I actually cast that stuff away. And I've learned that there are other things that are more important than the classics. (laughs) It's I'm a how to guy. And some people say that's a problem. I don't think it's a problem.
0: Well, it, it leads in nice to my next question. Your your branding is, is, is bold, be different or be dead. How, how did that come to fruition? And it's kind of you standing in your own, I'm going to say niche, even though we're not using that word, but it's kind of like everybody's doing this. I'm going over here and here's what I'm going to call it. What's the behavior behind that and, and how did you differentiate and why did you come out with such a bold branding statement?
1: So, yeah, really, really interesting how this thing has evolved because it, it, it didn't I didn't start out with a brand and then start behaving it. OK, I started out behaving it and eventually ended up tagging it. OK, and, and really, it's all based on on this whole notion of differentiation, because what I see and what I've seen in, in, in this world is even though competition has never been more fierce, customers have never wielded so much power, technology has never changed so dramatically, you would think in that world that organizations specifically would get better at differentiating themselves from their competition. And, and I have to tell you, they're not. In fact, I've coined this term called undifferentiation is actually happening. Everybody's copying everybody else. I call it gargling Google. You want to figure out an idea, go gargle Google and try and copy them. It's called benchmarking, best in class, et cetera. And it's promulgated by academics and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's unfortunately not very helpful because it doesn't answer the question, why should I do business with you and not your competitor? Like if you claim that you're in business to save the whole planet, that's audible. That's, that's a great value. But it doesn't really add any meaningful information to a customer who's trying to make a decision. So this whole notion of differentiation for me personally has been piling up and piling up and piling up. And it occurred to me that the ultimate consequence of not being able to distinguish you or your organization from your competitors, okay, in a way that people care about, I keep coming back to that, is all rooted on serving others, if you can't do that, the ultimate consequences is you will die. It's a tough word. Organizations die because they can't, they're no longer relevant in a way that people care about. They're no longer different than anybody else. They're the same as the herd. If you can't figure that out, you're gonna die. On a personal level, the same metaphor exists. If you can't figure out, if you're if you're coveting, you know, a certain opportunity, right, and you pull out a blueprint template. Uh, resume which I've seen so many times you the person that you're talking to their eyes glazes over glaze over and they just say thanks very much bye I mean it's got to cut through in a way it's important and so I encourage people to have customized resumes for every opportunity that comes their way there's no such thing as one template fits all and so forth and so you know it was born out of that realization and I've been working to learn more about it, okay, for the past 40 years. You know, I've written seven books under the Be Different or Be Dead title. My latest is The Audacious Unheard of Ways I Took a Startup to a Billion, which is fine, but it's all rooted in if you're not different, you're dead or soon will be. Um, And I'm, you know what, it's so hard. It's so hard to get people to to pay attention to that message. And it's because there's so much inertia out there created by academia. Everybody's out there trying to figure out what the universal unique selling proposition is, right? USPs, they're not unique at all, Deb. They're not. They're woefully short. They give no information to the, to the poor customer that's trying to make a decision or the manager that's trying to make a hiring choice. And so, my hope is by banging away at this and banging away at this, by the way, I have a solution to all of this, once having complained about the problem, but my hope is we'll make kind of like incremental steps. We'll sort of shift people a little bit to the right, all right? Um, and and I believe that the result of that will be, I mean, incredible economic benefits, and personal rewards, et cetera. My solution to this, by the way, And I call it claptrap. You know, everybody's saying I'm better, I'm best. We're number one. I mean, how many times have you heard that, right? Makes you want to be sick, all Mm -hmm. right? Roy's solution, and I had to create this at a very young age, called the only statement. It's not we're better. It's we're the only one that does what we do, only. So it's binary. It either exists or it doesn't exist. It can be observed. It can be measured. And so when I, and I, got my only statement. I've worked with organizations to create theirs and it's extremely liberating. Okay. And it's so relevant. And the other thing is Deb, it's always a draft. Yeah. Because the world changes so quickly, you know, you can never say it's permanent. And so the differentiation piece, absolutely critical. Um, It's rooted in how to stuff. And I've actually been able to create a tool that does a far better job than what people are especially young professionals, are taught today?
0: It's interesting. And again, it's a nice segue into my last leadership question. You know, you talk about, I always say it doesn't matter what sector we're in. We're all in the people business. But every sector, there's a tremendous amount of competition. It's important to be different. And we're not the only one who does what we do. And how I kind of want you to piggyback on the the third question with my last question. How can you differentiate yourself to set yourself up to be successful, given everything you just shared in my last leadership question?
1: Yeah, sure. So I've created a process, really simple process, and it's all based around uh, what I call my strategic game planning process, which, by the way, can be used for career planning as well. Okay, but I'm going to talk to you about it from a business point of view. We could do a whole show on career planning on this because it's so much fun. Really simple process, okay? Uh, you, you can create a plan, a meaningful plan for your organization by answering three questions. And I'm going to get to the differentiation piece in a minute, but it's all linked. First question is, how big do you want to be? That's, that's a question about growth. You have to declare it, and it's all based on revenue. So if you're at a million today, yeah. my question is, in 24 months, do you want to be five or do you want to be 10 or do you want to be two? It makes It's important to to declare that up front because the number, right, declares or characterizes the risk profile and the character of your strategy, okay, which is completely different than standard traditional planning, which starts out with a strategy and then drive financials. And then they figure that the financials aren't good enough, so they change the assumptions without changing the strategy, which is ridiculous. Anyways, first question, how big do you want to be? Second question, who do you want to serve? Now, that's a question about where are you going to get the money? Yeah. Okay, define the customer groups that you want to get the money from, okay? When you do that, and hopefully the fewer the better, because, you know, you got a, you got to husband your resources, you don't have infinite time and money, so you want to focus your efforts. Once you've done that, the next stage is to take a deep dive into those customer groups that you've chosen to serve and figure out what they care about, what they crave, not what they need. I mean, if you're in the telecom business, they'll tell you they need internet. I don't care about that. What I want to know is what you crave, okay, what you crave and, and what you desire. Then the next step is to create an only statement around those customer groups based on what they crave. Now, two outcomes are going to happen here. One, either you just fall into it and you are automatically the unique enterprise out there that can serve those cravings, or you say, huh? I can't do that. And so what you need to do now is reframe your business. And I've done this a lot with businesses that go, oh, my goodness, that's the source of revenue. But we're not only at anything, Roy. Fine. We're going to reframe your business. Let me give you an example. There's a, 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 what they thought was a boat, a boat selling business in Toronto that I just completed an exercise with. And they sold boats to dealers. So I did a planning process ses- session with them. And we got to looking at, at their only statement. And they, we did a deep dive on what do the boat dealers crave? Like they expect to have boats that don't sink, okay? They do. So, so going there isn't really going to get you any uniqueness. So I said to them, what do they really care about? What do they really? So what they really cared about is growing their bottom line. They were in the business of of needing some help developing their business. So I said, well, why don't you guys figure out a way to play into that? Is there anybody playing, any other boat dealers playing into that space? And of course, they said, no. (laughs) So I said, why don't you play there? Let's reframe your business. And so we transformed them in terms of a, a strategy into flogging boats, into providing financial solutions that grew boat dealers business. And they just went huh, we are unique. And I said, good, okay, now we got something, let's go play with it. And they've been playing with it and the dealers are just shaking their heads going, are you kidding me? You're, you're not selling boats. Well, of course they're selling boats, but that, that's not the value proposition, Yeah. right? It's stuff around that. So identify who you're gonna serve, understand what they crave, reframe your business to be the only ones satisfying those cravings Boom, you're done. Nobody else does that. You will be successful.
0: Yeah. It's, it's you know, when I um, did my pre sale on my book, the editor asked me a very similar question because the book is a tool and the tools kind of what gets you past the front door. And I created fireside chats. And so using your framing methodology, which I love, I asked everyone in the organization to define in three words the current pulse of their culture. And I got from this end of the spectrum all the way to the other, and I turned that into the informal fireside chat to to address everything, and nobody knew who had said what. And super effective, and they were all craving to know what does he think, what does she think, what do they think. And it's just turned out to be a beautiful strategy. But the big, big strategy was just getting my foot in the door to places that I couldn't before. And so I guess I I used your framework and didn't just use it with different words and different uh, analogy. But at the end of the day, it's about listening to the people. And when you listen to the people, especially if it's a large team or a company, you have to help, com- help them come up with a solution so that everybody understands what the other person is thinking and feeling or where this comes. It's, it's something I talk about in the book. Work shows up at life and life shows up at work. And yeah, it's separate, but it's not when it comes to emotions and cognition.
1: Well, I, I used to spend uh, at least two days, OK, with frontline people, my, my entire leadership life. And, and this is where I coined the phrase leadership by serving around. Because basically what I did is just ask one simple question. How can I help? That's all I asked. And I got to tell you, I mean, my management team were a little nonplussed at first because, you know, I was just going out there finding out what the real truths were. And the amazing thing for me was I got a whole, just a ton of be different ideas from them and a whole bunch of problems that were, were preventing execution. And th- I want to make this point. In my world, it wasn't a matter of asking people how they felt for the sake of asking them how they felt. Okay, what I was really at, so this was strategic meandering, okay? What this was all about was what are the pinch points that are preventing execution of this strategy as we were marching to a billion? I called it cleansing the internal environment, okay? So what I was looking for were barriers, I call them dumb rules. I call it crap in the organization that were preventing people from doing their jobs and performing at a superlative level. If it didn't fit that, I wasn't particularly interested. I don't mean that as hard as it sounds, but the reality was I wasn't just out there hanging out. Yeah. I had a purpose, right? Yes. And so the things that the, the information I got from them yeah. was so valuable, okay? And because once I started to respond to what they cared about, uh, and provided solutions and got rid of the, some of the rules and bureaucratic stuff and the people that were in the way. I mean, their performance, I mean, their chests just, you know, big chest puffed out and they just started performing like you wouldn't believe. Simple stuff like that. And other people would say, why are you doing a dumb rules competition, Roy? So I had to take them through the cleansing, the internal environment process that drives execution, et cetera, et cetera. And they nah. would just scratch their heads and go, how can that work? And yeah. I say, well, I don't know, but it does. Uh,
0: or, or you hear, that's common sense. And, and my and my <laughs> follow-up line is, you're ready, but it's not common practice here.
1: I know. Isn't I know it it's an interesting
0: thing. I love this. Okay, yeah. I'm going to switch to my fab four. Oh. Just, just four fun, rapid questions. Uh, tell us what's top of mind. Okay, first question. Give us a word or a phrase that shows up daily in your leadership. Different. Share with us a book that you've read. This can be at any juncture of your life that was impactful. Uh, what's the name of the book and who wrote
1: it? The Marketing Lessons of the Grateful Dead.
0: And, and how did it impact you?
1: Well, you know, do you know the Grateful Dead, right? <laughs> well, everybody, everybody knows the Grateful Dead as musicians. What they don't know is, is their business acumen. Okay, and in, in a world where social media didn't exist, and competition was extremely high, the band leader, Jerry Garcia, figured it out, okay? He figured out that his job was to create an experience for their fans in a way that they cared about. Now, let me give you an example. In those days, I mean, it was, it was thought that to sh- actually share your, mu- your music would be deadly, you know, because there was a whole copyright yes. thing going on. Yeah. Garcia said, no, no, well, I'm going to go... Uh, contrary into that, we are going to uh, facilitate, okay, our fans' ability to actually record our music at our, con- uh, our uh, concerts. And so what they would do is invest, actually, in infrastructure, in a stand, equip it with recording equipment so that their fans could record it. And guess what happened? Miraculously, they shared all of this <laughs> and people bought records. And so the book is, is I would say, for me personally, an incredible guide in terms of how to do some of this stuff. And not just that, and I get, I'm sorry, I got goosebumps just thinking about this. It it actually was such a wonderful story to read about a band in an incredible business that understood things, right, from a business point of view and offered practical solutions, right? Like not like reading the blue ocean strategy. I mean, this is something that actually is down to earth and makes sense. And it left me so, and I quote him all the time. Garcia says, and by the way, I didn't copy him. I came upon this in years later. He says, you don't want merely to be the best of the best. You want to be the only ones that do what you do. And when I read that, I just went, oh my God, he's got me in so many ways. And so I, I use him. Back in the '60s, as yeah. a guy that was so enlightened, so forward-thinking, okay, yeah. in in his understanding of differentiation, there's nobody else like that out there, even today.
0: Yeah, it's 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 uh, they. Yeah, when I even when you say that, you know, it makes me think that he was one of the leaders of that band, creating the book. And you look amongst C-suites now, and a lot of large companies have a chief experience officer.
1: Yeah. But you know what? Well, we could make a whole show on that. Yeah, they okay. do. But
0: it's interesting. Like, as you talk about that, it made, that's where my mind was going. So yes. innovative. Okay, third question. I have to give you some context. So I'm granting you a wish. You get to have dinner with any leader in the world, and this leader could be living or passed away. Who are you having dinner with, and what is the dinner conversation?
1: Well, I'm having dinner with Lady Gaga.
0: Oh, Kathy.
1: And the conversation is all about uh, how about, uh, is, is all about how she is so good at capturing the hearts and souls of people. Like she just is. I mean, not it, it, like her talent is like uh, incredible, but that's not what, I mean, she could be really talented and still be a failure. There's a lot of people around like that. She is not only talented, but she gets it. She actually gets it. She's so good at maintaining relationships in, in, a, in a world population sense and making individuals feel that they're connected with her. And so what I would be asking her over a, over a gin martini is to tell me her secrets. And I would ask to, to have this dinner for 24 hours.
0: Yeah, she is a true heart-centered leader. And when she did the night in New York City for Tony Bennett in the height of his Alzheimer's, she is the epitome of class and grace. And she had not seen him for a while. So when she came out, he put his arms out and looked at her and he went, is that you, God? She... (laughs) He was so taken <laughs> oh, back. He said, Tony, it's me. Because he had had some intermittent times where he didn't know. And, you yeah. know, she's just so natural with how she responds. And yeah. it's truly a gift. And I haven't had that. That I have not had her mentioned on the show yet. I of actually, course. There's on different. <laughs> I think you are that special with both of them because I love I love watching it especially now that he's passed and yeah. even even how she reflected on social media like she's just class and grace and I mean her talent second to none but uh what a great example yeah. okay before we finished with the last question I just want to say I'm so glad we got to meet each yeah. other today Roy I, I I've got a new friend I've got yeah. somebody in the in the imperfect heart-centered yes. ring with me which I love so thank you for your time and just your your expertise to be different and your energy's infectious and I'm gonna have you close out the show by finishing this sentence for me heart-centered leadership is
1: It's all about connecting with individuals, not necessarily masses. Masses don't exist. They're a function of individuals who are all different. And so the challenge for a a heart-centered leader is to figure out how to touch and listen to every person. Listen to their story from the point of view of thinking about how you can help them. Because in every story will be a challenge that comes your way. You need to be open to that. You need to listen to it and you need to do something with the information. Do not let them down. They're trusting you with their story. Get on it.
0: Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing heart-centered guest. If you like the show, Feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. Looking to master the art of heart? Head over to our website at debcrow.com and watch out for Deb's new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, coming in September.